You are listening to the Nirvana Podcast, Season 2, Episode 13, with the lights out and montage of heck. Hello everybody, welcome to the Nirvana Podcast. My name is Sietse. And I'm Jiritja. Today we are going to talk about two, what you might call, legacy releases of uh, Nirvana. Uh, the With the Lights Out box set and the quote-unquote solo album by Kurt Cobain called Montage of Heck. But before we're going to do that, I'd like to say hello to Mr. Cesar Martinez from uh, Mexico, who sent us an email with some nice pictures. Uh, he went to Aberdeen and to Seattle and he took, took some photographs there and, and sent them to us. So uh, yeah, it was a really nice uh, nice gesture. Yeah, and also he said that he loves our podcast. So yeah, Pretty what cool. more can we ask for? <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah, it was really cool to see those photos. So uh, thank you very much, Cesar, for that. Yeah, it, it, it's nice to see that there aren't a lot of like big landmarks or anything, but it's more like small things that people created their, themselves, like a sign that says KC Park. That's interesting and, and also fitting yep. to the kind of um, artist that uh, Kurt was. So uh, yeah, it's nice. And it's also cool to know that people uh, in Mexico listen to our show. I yeah. Mean, if uh, anybody else from Mexico or any country in the world uh, wants to send an email, you can do that by sending it to a Sherwood podcast at gmail.com. That's Sherwood podcast at gmail.com or uh, find us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Nirvana podcast. And uh, you can send us a, a message there. Yeah. Even if you live somewhere uh, that's not been recognized officially as a country, you can still send us an email. Just <laughs> yes. wanted to say that because you mentioned. Yes, countries. you can. Yeah. And, and also, if you haven't gone to any uh, uh, Cobain or Nirvana landmarks uh, to make some exclusive pictures for us, we'd, we'd still like to hear from you. So uh, everybody's welcome, yeah. especially if you say that you like the show, <laughs> but also if you have some criticism, whatever. So let's uh, first uh, talk about the With the Lights Out box set, uh, which was released in 2004 and contains uh, three CDs and one DVD full of um, mostly... Uh, unreleased uh, material well that's to say um, officially unreleased because I think about half of that stuff was already um, circulating on on bootleg uh, uh, recordings and and, and stuff like that but but still yeah there was a lot of new stuff on there so a lot of people were waiting for this release to get more Nirvana material because well as we all know there isn't that much uh, of it and it's always good to have like a proper rendition of a recording instead of like a bootleg version that's usually of lower quality. So even if they were yeah. bootlegs that were already out there, it's always good to have it uh, in a nicer uh, package. Yeah, that's true. Although um, in some cases there are bootlegs that actually have a better audio recording. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. There's like a, a collection that's been released online, if you can call it released or leaked or <laughs> yeah. whatever, called um, the um, Elmo Collection, um, subtitled A Better Box. <laughs> and uh, so, some of those uh, songs actually have a, a slightly better audio quality, in my uh, in my opinion. And it, ha- it has more. So I think that's one of the big criticisms of people that don't really like the box is that it's not complete. When it's released, they kind of said, well, th- this is it. And it's not really it. I feel that this box set sort of hovers between incomplete and the best off because it's not as complete as it could have been. 
but it is like three CDs and there is stuff on there that you could do without. They could have also done like a one or two disc set uh, with like the strongest stuff on there or make it even bigger and have it be complete. And now sometimes it sort of feels like it's it's sort of hovering in between. Yeah, I get your point. Well, they did release a uh, single disc called Sliver, the best of the box. Mm-hmm. Which kind of has like like the subtitle says uh, the best <laughs> yeah. stuff comprised to just one one disc. Although what really um, annoys me is that they put three extra songs on there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That aren't on the box, so that's always a stupid money grabbing move that record companies make. Yeah. So that if you have if you bought the box, then you still don't have all all of it. So you if you want all the stuff, you're gonna have to buy the best of the box as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think they defended their choice by saying that they um found those extra tracks later or something like that, which is very, very hard to believe. <laughs> exactly. Um you already mentioned the the packaging. Uh, I've got it uh, right here in my hands. It's got a like a metallic front with a they found a picture on it. It's 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 stuck on the box. That's a bit weird. Um, the back side that has the the track listing um, is also glued on there. So mm-hmm. I've got, I've got a second-handed version, so it's already loosened a bit on the on the edges. So it gives <laughs> it a bit of a cheap feel. <laughs> there is this version, or maybe they all have it. I'm not sure because I I I don't own this physically, but that has like material that changes color or something like that. Yeah, yeah. The inside that that's actually a, a kind of a fun feature <laughs> that uh, I I don't know if you can see it on on the camera. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, this is quite dark mm-hmm. the inside, and when I put my hand on it, it's like heat sensitive or touch sensitive. I don't really know how this material works. And then oh, yeah, um, it lightens up so you can actually read and see what's underneath there. So that's that's kind of funny, and yeah, it also like fits the stuff because it gives like the impression that there's a, like a lot of dust on there and and underneath you can see that there there are some notes and and documents under there so it kind of gives uh, the the impression of that it's that you're dusting it off or something like that so i i do like that the the cover and the and the back not so much but uh, at least they put some uh, thought to it that is also the case for the track listing i think you might say that uh, disc one is like early nirvana yeah and then the second one is uh Mid Nirvana, like the Nevermind era, and the third one is um, In Euro um, era, and and after that, so um, yeah, that's that kind of makes sense. There's a, there's a booklet in there that that gives um, a short story of their timeline mm-hmm. and um, gives some information of about the songs. Not that much, I think. Uh, perhaps they could have done a bit more with that. Also, uh, I've read on LiveNirvana.com. Um, that there are quite some errors in there uh, with the, with the dates and stuff like that. Wow. So hmm. yeah. that's that's a bit sloppy. Yeah, that's a shame. And there's a there's a DVD as well, right? Yeah, there there is a DVD as well. It's it's sort of a live DVD. It starts with a uh, home recording of a, of, a, of a rehearsal, and then it progresses to some uh, live recordings. And yeah, the, see them get to the bigger stages, but the Main focus is on their uh, early work, nice. which is interesting, but I think would have been a bit more interesting if we had some people that were involved with that, especially Chris, uh, of course, to give a big, bit more background information of where they are, 
what happened during the time period. Yeah. Um, if this was like a typical rehearsal for them or was it like a breakthrough moment when they first played this and that song, something like that. It's, it doesn't give any context whatsoever, but um, yeah, it's quite enjoyable. Um, last thing I'd like to uh, say about the packaging is that there are two quite uh, nice um, stories uh, in the liner notes. Uh, one written by uh, Thurston Moore uh, from uh, from Sonic Youth, who uh, talks about his experiences with the band, and also one by uh, Neil Strauss, a journalist who more or less uh, puts Nirvana in a context of uh, rock music history. So um, that being said, let's um, focus on the music uh, that's on there. Yep. Flick through um, the the songs on those uh, releases and just see what we find is interesting and also focus on stuff that we haven't discussed on the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Because we already took quite a lot of stuff from the box set that we threw in uh, several episodes. So uh, let's start with a song that I think nobody knew before um, this box was released um it's called uh mrs butterworth yeah. or at least it's <laughs> it, it it got the title yeah. mrs butterworth <laughs> exactly. uh, let's listen to it first I already uh, referred to the title of this song um, because the uh, record company later admitted that they came up with the title Mrs. Butterworth um, because it didn't have a a title and they just found it on a a recorded uh, rehearsal of the band. So I actually think it's it's quite an enjoyable song. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, It's pretty good. The box says that it was recorded in 1988. I've read that uh, Jack and Dino, uh, their uh, first producer, uh, said that it's probably from a year earlier. Yeah, yeah. Because he thinks that it's uh, Aaron Burkhardt on drums mm-hmm. uh, instead of Dale Grover. And therefore, um, it, it's probably recorded in 1987. That, that might be one of those sloppy things of the box. But at the same time, we, we can't be sure which, uh, which story is correct. No, exactly. I think that's... Also, one of the things that we'll probably see that later on with Montage of Heck as well, I mean, they recorded quite a bit of stuff in rehearsals and, and whatever. I can imagine that not everything has been dated <laughs> properly. And to really find out when it was is probably a lot of work as well, because you need multiple people to listen to it and, and basically say like, oh, yeah, I remember this. And oh, I, I, I recognize this drum sound. I'm sure this is him and whatever. Um, yeah. So yeah, apparently they they didn't really do that that much <laughs> when they uh, when they put it out there. But yeah, you would expect that they had a lot of time to um, to create this box set because they weren't allowed to release it uh, exactly. because the legal struggle between uh, Courtney Love and the band. But uh, I guess um, they didn't because they didn't know if they would ever 
be able to release it. Yeah. So they didn't start working on it. And then maybe because they finally resolved that the whole legal battle, they thought, okay, let's let's go for it, people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> let's make yeah. a box set. Yeah, yeah, but in this case, I think, obviously, if you're a big fan, you want the exact dates. But apart from that, I think in this case, especially because of the multitude of drummers in the early year- years, it is actually quite important to know which year it was because then you at least know who is doing the drumming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true, true. But still, it's a nice sketch. I, I think it's a it's a good song yeah. that they could have they could have used. Um, I think it would have been a, a nice addition to uh, Bleach. Yeah, definitely. If they had a proper recording of it, I also like that um, spoken word part yeah. that I just played a, a snippet of it. Especially because the the comment he makes about shells and driftwood, I think that later shows up in one of their like fake biographies, and it was a story that Kurt liked to tell to journalists to just give them a bullshit story <laughs> about how he was in art school and then he made stuff with shells and driftwood. Right. And yeah, I thought it was funny that it's already uh, uh, in this song. Yeah. And also that uh, even in 1987 or 1988, he already uh, liked uh, singing about his libido. So <laughs> yeah, that's at true. least that's, I, I think that's what he's singing. <laughs> yeah, that that's also one of those fun things about all of this previously unreleased material that you never really know what he's singing and there's like a lot of versions online of people who who make like uh, transcripts of of lyrics and and then have discussions about (laughs) who can hear it the best and i guess we'll (laughs) never know because because sometimes like like we've seen in other demos as well sometimes he just brabbles something or or just uses a word that rhymes or whatever so yeah <laughs> it's hard to make out agreed so let's uh, move on to the next one it's also a very very early uh, song this one is undated according to the box uh, set um, it's called uh, don't want it all I think this song displays like a total different side of, of Gert. I think this was from home recordings he did, right? There's a couple of I home think recordings so. on here. So, yeah. It just says, yeah, solo acoustic, but I don't think it's uh, acoustic. I no. mean, it's a bass guitar that, we are, that <laughs> exactly. we're hearing. Yeah. And, and, and you can also hear like the percussion and stuff. I, th- I think it's all Gert, but can be 100% sure. Also, this song has many names. Um, it's now released under the name uh, Don't Want It All. Uh, it's also been titled Seed and Misery Loves Company. Yep. And I actually remember that this song was already circulating on bootlegs. This was the first time it was officially released, but somehow some of these recordings had already uh, leaked. Yeah, yeah. I, can, I can imagine that, that this is one, especially when you get this on a bootleg. This is sort of <laughs> perfect bootleg material. It's really dark 
and it feels like you get a a new side of Kurt Cobain, especially because this is also from like the early period, right? So, so yeah. this is like old material that we didn't know he was doing stuff like that in the early years. So, like, if I would have gotten this on a bootleg, I would have been pretty excited because it's really something new and and dark, and it's sort of, especially the. Because of the bass and, and the slow tempo, it feels like a real sort of look inside his soul or something like that. It has that that sort of feel to it. Yeah, and I think that's also because of the way he uses his voice, really calm and, and, and low voice. Yep. Uh, a quite different singing style than he usually has. Yeah, definitely. With a lot of, yeah. I thought it was interesting. I'm not sure if it's like the best song he ever wrote. No. But he could have done more with it. Some people actually did take this song and do more with it. Um, I've got a version lined up by uh, Tu Bada, a Nirvana cover band that also plays their uh, unknown material. And um, they made their own version of it. Nice. And uh, it sounds like this. That's interesting. I was a bit confused by the sound in the beginning. It sounded like they had like electronic piano synthesizer or whatever going on, yeah. <laughs> which felt really strange because that's very much not Nirvana-like. So that threw me off a bit. Maybe if um, Kurt had the opportunity when he recorded this, he would have experimented with that um, as well. I, I don't know. Um, here's another um, solo acoustic recording that Kurt did, which also shows a very different uh, side of him. It's um, Clean Up Before She Comes. It's also one that I already uh, heard back in the day, back in the 90s on a, on a bootleg recording. And that really surprised me just because, yeah, well, let's listen to it and um, it'll become clear soon, en soon enough. Of course, this was uh, towards the end of the song because it it, it just builds. He uh, really works in layers here, yeah. and yeah, especially with his uh, with his vocals. And I think yeah, that's also a side of him that he never really used again. A quality of that that, that he had that we uh, yeah we never 
Got to hear again, no. ever, I think. This is quite elaborate because it's not just doing like a harmony, but it's actually two entirely different parts that he just layers over each other. And that's definitely something that we've never heard. And I think when you hear it in this song, even though it's it's unpolished, it does feel like something that could work on a Nirvana album. So I'm also, just like you, surprised that they never really worked with something like this because I think they, they easily could have. I don't even know if he ever brought it to the band or if it was something that he just created, put on a on a on a cassette and never looked back at it again. I mean we all know that he was um insecure about uh recording about a girl. Yeah for um their debut album. Just imagine what his feelings might be about doing something like this on his uh, album yeah, true. you know on a, on a underground rock label <laughs> yeah. trying to be a cool grunge rocker yeah so maybe maybe that's it and then later he had tons of other songs that he probably felt were better and yeah he didn't really need it anymore we're talking now about songs but essentially stuff like this is the beginning of a song it's experimenting it's it's trying out stuff i can also imagine him trying stuff like this and maybe discarding it just because he wasn't interested enough. I mean, we, we hear it and we like it and we think, oh, he could have done more with it. But maybe he tried it and listened to it and it was like, nah, don't like that. And just threw it away. Yeah. Yeah. But again, uh, we can have a glimpse of what could have been because I discovered a very interesting YouTube channel called The Beginning of Music. And the guy or girl, I don't know, who runs the channel created a lot of band mock-ups. So um, he takes the original recording. It's not a, a cover version like we just heard, but he takes the original recording and adds more uh, instruments to Great. it. Uh, in this case, he actually added a Dave Grohl's drumming <laughs> to it. Nice. Because he took the, took the drums from the Foo Fighters song uh, Wind Up and used it <laughs> on this song, cool. uh, which I think is, is absolutely brilliant. Here's the final result. I think he added some other instruments uh, as well, but... Um, this is weird because now it actually sounds like a Foo Fighters song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just by adding the drums, that's weird. No, but but really it sort of has that more of a Foo Fighter quality to it than a Nirvana song, I think. It's strange. They, they could have played this, um, this song on the Unplugged session yeah. and have uh, Dave and uh, Kurt sing those two parts together. Yeah. That would have been really awesome, but uh, I, I think the drums are... Too, he hits too too hard on the drums. It has yeah. like these rock drums on it now <laughs> exactly. that don't really fit. But I think it's it's brilliant that that this guy made it work. Yeah. And, uh, I've I've got some other uh, creations that he did uh, lined up. Cool. Oh, uh, and w one more thing. There's another version of this song on uh, Montage yep. of Heck, which is way less interesting. I think. Yeah. I agree. But it, it does prove that Kurt worked on it several times and had several takes on it. And uh, yeah, it was like a serious uh, project for him. Yep. Let's move to track 
20 uh, of the first uh, disc. Nice. It's labeled a uh, demo. Uh, for some reason, um, they didn't put on the box that it's actually by the jury, like the, the combination of two guys from Nirvana, uh, Kurt and Chris, and uh, two guys of uh, Screaming Trees. Yeah. They they recorded several uh, Lead Belly uh, covers, and uh, they are all on this uh, box yeah. set. So for people who didn't have those yet on a, on a bootleg recording or whatever... Uh, they have it now, and I think uh, it's uh, actually very, uh, very well worth uh, listening to it. Uh, we're going to check out uh, Ain't It a Shame. Yeah, and just to be fair, um, in, in, in the book that comes with uh, with the box set, uh, the whole story of the jury and the project uh, is in there. Oh, but um, if you just look at the back of it, uh, it uh, it isn't. I, I think this is so such a f- fun song to listen yeah, to. Yeah, it's great. And w- what they did with it. Yeah, it's it's also, I mean, the song itself is, is just a simple blues song with pretty funny lyrics, I think. I, I love the original as well. But then doing in in this kind of rockabilly style with a punk touch to it is is just makes it so much fun and and it's so cool i love this just to do you a favor um here's your original Yay. ain't it a shame to go fishing on a sunday ain't it a shame ain't it a shame to go fishing on a sunday ain't it a shame ain't it a shame to go fishing on a sunday when you got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, Friday, Saturday, ain't it a shame? Ain't it a shame to kiss the girls on the Sunday? Ain't it a shame? Now who said so? Ain't it a shame to kiss the girls on the Sunday? Ain't it a shame? I don't believe it. It's it's too bad that Kurt doesn't do the the commenting thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't think so. I don't believe it. Who said so? <laughs> Yeah, it's really cool. And it also p- shows that the whole world knows um, how they played Where Did You Sleep Last Night um, on the MTV Unplugged session. But n- not a lot of people know that Kurt actually was a big fan of Lead Belly and that his work meant a lot to him. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's cool to, to have this as well and to add that to the to the story and to the mix. Yeah, definitely. We're going to uh, move over to the second disc of the box. Oh, we're going so fast. <laughs> Well, we, we, we've got a lot of yeah. ground to cover uh, And like you said, today, we so. had a lot that, that we've been discussing already as well. Especially uh, like the, the, the B-sides that are on here and some of them are slightly remixed, but uh, we've already um, discussed them. Yep. So uh, if you want to hear us talk about that, uh, go to, uh, I don't know, whatever episode. We did three episodes about songs that could have been on Bleach, uh, could have been on Nevermind and could have been on In Euro and... Uh, those are the songs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Amongst others. But uh, here's a song that actually is on Nevermind, although it's got a different title now.
and obviously here he's singing pay to play instead of stay away which uh, it later became apparently uh, referring to uh, the practice that some um, clubs had that uh, artists actually had to pay before they could go on stage and play yeah so uh, I, th- I think it was a wise move to morph that into stay away because that's something that a lot of more people can relate to uh, i guess yeah exactly and and pay to play it's sort of hard to grasp if you have no idea of the rest of the lyrics and it's less easy to just sing along to because i mean hmm. everybody loves shouting stay away <laughs> with this song it's just one of those things that uh, that works so uh, yeah works yeah. much better to have that yeah and i also think that it works very well for the song that's uh, that it's not that big polished rock sound that's on Nevermind. Mm-hmm. This is more more low key, a bit more rough yep. sounding. I think that that fits the song. Yeah, it has more of a underground punk sound here. Uh, um, I think uh, in this version. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, I quite like it yep. actually. I, I wish they would have stayed just a bit closer to this sound. Yep for the for the official release but uh yeah it's 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 good to have it later all songs that they recorded during this uh session the smart studio sessions uh, were released like we said in the in the beginning uh some stuff yeah it's just not complete like uh, they took something from the very first demo but not the entire first demo because that that would have been an extra disc yep (laughs) and um yeah same goes for this one They, they had to choose between pick one or two songs and put on there or the entire demo session. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know I've referred to, to Prince quite a lot in this uh, podcast, so sorry, Prince haters, but <laughs> it's one of my reference points. But especially in, in releasing stuff like that, there's been a lot of re-releases uh, from him as well, but they never have this whole which demo is it problem because he just basically recorded song after song after song on his own in his own studio (laughs) (laughs) which makes it really easy to just pick a song any song and and put it on somewhere but as soon as you have like a band who did a whole session during a day or a week or whatever and when you know those sessions are part of recordings for an actual album you feel like you want to hear like the, the whole session at least I have I have that feeling. It sort of feels more logical to have a recording of all of that, including the, the, the messed up stuff, than just have this weird pick and mix that sometimes also has <laughs> weird stuff on it. So, I mean, there's, yeah, there's it's, no it's, right it's, answer, I guess, but yeah. No, it's, it's a dilemma. I mean, if they would have put everything they got on here, then it would have been like, 10 discs yeah. perhaps and then people would say oh it's so expensive there's too much stuff on there and it's not all that interesting so yeah yeah this but but the thing is they later did release a lot of those those uh, things exactly. like like these uh, studio sessions the even their uh, boombox rehearsals yep. they don't really have like a good audio quality but they are like historically important yep. because they recorded the Nevermind songs on a boombox and sent a tape to Butch Fig, who would produce the album and he got really excited about it. So, yeah, it it is important, but it's not good enough for a standalone release. But then later on the um, uh, Nevermind uh, deluxe edition of the um, uh, anniversary uh, release that does have all of it on there. <laughs> <Exactly>. So <laughs> sort of. that kind of <laughs> makes the box set a bit irrelevant and gives the impression like oh we have pay to play on there (laughs) 
it's just one random picked song of the entire session. <laughs> exactly. You can listen to the, all of it uh, if you buy another release. So, yeah, it's 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 difficult. Yeah. And I, I must say, in the beginning, I was a bit uh, critical of the of the box set. I did learn to appreciate it for what it was. Yeah. Um, especially the importance that it had in uh, 2002. Yep. And yeah, that later releases are more complete and yeah, offer more stuff. That's okay. They, they had to make some choices here and there. So yep. uh, I think it's uh, cool. it's okay. Um, so here's another uh, example of that. It's the original Butch Fig mix of uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit, also known as the uh, Devonshire mixes. And I think that's also an important release because Kurt talked a lot about how he didn't like the mixing of the album yep. and that they really screwed it up and it was awful and it was a lot different than what the first mixes were like. And now we can compare the two. Here's uh, what Butch Fick thought that uh, Smells Like Team Spirit should sound like. And here's the million dollar question. If they would have released this version of Smells Like Teen Spirit, would it still have been an international super hit? <laughs> that is a really good question. It's always so hard to try and say something about something that you know so well because it's it's harder to compare. I would say that this mix is slightly less commercial, I think. But, but only slightly. I but mean. only slightly. So it's hard, like... When I listen to the two versions, I think that the eventual single version hit much harder, like on an emotional level, because it's clearer, it's cleaner, it has a bit more impact than this version. At the same time, if we never had that version and we had this one, you can't listen to it clean <laughs> because you don't no. know. You're always going to be influenced by the other version. But I yeah. do think that the eventual released version is more commercial. A couple of years ago, I uh, occasionally uh, used to uh, DJ at a, a, a party that you uh, attended as well <laughs> exactly. for um, improvisers. Uh, and I always played this version of the song. Right. I thought it, it was like a matter of principle to me. And nobody <laughs> ever came to me and said, oh, that sounded really weird. <laughs> no. It's probably because everybody was slightly drunk or <laughs> the sound system wasn't that great but but still i mean if it was mix was completely different yeah. then people would have noticed exactly thought, well, oh yeah. this is weird well there you have it you, you you've just proven the <laughs> your <laughs> point <laughs> empirical <laughs> proven <laughs> yeah so uh we're gonna put in disc three yes which uh, starts off with two versions of uh rape me a demo version and a, a solo acoustic version and uh we're going to check out uh, the acoustic uh, yes. demo, which was dated uh, in 1992. Make me do it again. Save me. 
always uh, think that it's pretty interesting that this was actually quite an old song. Yeah. That he wrote it quite a long time before um, In Euro was released. But hearing it on this box set, it makes me think about how you can put together a box set like this. They chose to do it chronologically. So yeah, that makes it clear that this one should be on disc three. But you could also do it, categorize it a bit and maybe put all the solo acoustic stuff from Kurt on one disc and maybe all the live stuff on another one and all the demo versions on another one. And I think maybe I would have liked that a bit better. I get what you mean. Well, I think it especially turns out wrong in this case because you have a third disc that starts with two versions of the same song. And even though those two versions are pretty different, it is quite weird and slightly annoying to have two versions of the same song in a row um, when that doesn't happen on the rest of the album. <laughs> so it feels feels a bit weird. Yeah, and it's a strange choice because, like you said, um, this box sets pick and mix, like you said. So why would you pick those two songs and put them back to back on there? Unless maybe you wanted to showcase like the progression they made, like this is how Kurt created the song and, and first recorded it and then brought it to the rest of the band and then they worked on it and then you got something like uh, we hear on um, the next track, which is the demo version. Yeah. Then it's more like a way of telling a story, something like that. Yeah, I guess so. I agree with you that the idea of putting it more in a different way together, like having that solo parts and the demos and whatever and, and, and the studio sessions together could have been interesting as well. I'm pretty sure if they made another, uh, if they had made a different choice, then other people would say, yeah, why didn't they just put it in a chronological order? <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. It, it makes more, much more yeah. sense. So, But in this case, it's just, it's it's weird. I think this this version is interesting to have on here. It's different. We haven't heard it like this before, I think. It's it's quite interesting. But yeah, to have two versions of it is a bit overkill, I guess. Yeah, especially back to back. I mean, yeah. A lot of the stuff on the third disc is uh, uh, are different versions of songs that are on uh, Utero or some uh, some B-sides and, and like demo versions. Um, there's also something on there that is from that time period, but um, that... Uh, is not actually a song. It's more like a, a jam called uh, The Other Improv. Uh, let's uh, check that one out. So it does feature a line that's uh, on in Euro. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I've I've always found this quite interesting because um, during our um, whole episode, we we discussed the whole thing of of people saying like, "Oh, Kurt was writing stuff uh, for Courtney, and she didn't do it herself, and whatever." And to me, this song 
improve whatever um, feels uh, quite um, uh, holy to me sometimes. <laughs> so there's there's stuff in here where I would be like, okay, yeah, this this could have been done by Courtney. I've always felt that here you can, especially in in his singing. Um, you can hear her influences. I mean, maybe that's me. Maybe it's not true at all, but that's just how it feels to me. I never looked at it that way, but uh, perhaps you're right. Uh, I don't think it's a very good improv, by the way, but uh, <laughs> no. it's not like an interesting song. I mean, it's this was like a, uh, the best part, in my opinion. Yep. And totally. that's mainly got to do because he uses a line that he l later used in another song. Exactly. So yeah, that that's always interesting to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think it's about six minutes, right? Just, <laughs> just jamming and, yeah. and and trying out stuff. And uh, but at the same time, I think that this is actually sort of the interesting stuff on here because you can hear them freely at work in the studio, uh, which yeah. I think is interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it offers something completely new. Yep. I mean, it's not a different version. It's not a cover of a uh, of a song. It's like an actually. Yeah, completely new, unheard creation. Yep. Just like Mrs. Butterworth. And I think that's always good to uh, to release to um, the world and to, to share with, with people. I think that's it for the box set. Uh, we skipped over lots and lots of stuff because there's there's um, uh, like, like 60 tracks on there. So <laughs> we can't discuss them all. Or actually, uh, we just don't feel like discussing them all. <laughs> exactly. And we also... And we um, also decided to combine this episode with another um, release that was uh, later put together, um, which is a Montage of Heck yeah. from 2015, which, um, yeah, it's more or less the soundtrack album of the documentary Montage of Heck. Yeah. And uh, let's get an uh, introduction uh, of this release by the director of that movie, Brett Morgan. Now, what kind of material is there for the soundtrack companion? There's 75 minutes of fantastic music of Kurt. Not, you know, it's not the band. It's Kurt sitting in his house writing music, and it's freaking awesome. And I uh, hope that we could get it out there shortly. Um, is there anything as fantastic as the Beatles cover that, he, uh, that I we think hear so. in the for, film? Yeah, I think so for sure. I think so for sure. And um, but you know, it's it's funny. Like when when we announced this film with a press release, we said uh, during the course of uh, the the film, Morgan unearthed 200 hours of audio, and the movie will feature unreleased songs. And I started checking social media, and like clearly, there's no smells like Teen Spirit, like fully recorded, mixed songs left those don't exist so we can that's not going to happen but there are kurt cobain songs that if they were completed i think would have been amongst his biggest hits and musically suggest an evolution do you agree with uh, mr morgan <laughs> no <laughs> i think mr morgan is uh, really good at uh promoting his own stuff uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah no um, and especially <laughs> when he himself mentions that there was 200 hours of 
material there. I think it's 31 tracks on the deluxe edition. If these 31 tracks are the best of those 200 hours, I don't think you could make one proper successful album out of this. <laughs> Which isn't to say I don't appreciate this, but yeah. You really raise the expectations by saying stuff like this. Exactly. And especially and then... because the interviewer asks like, is it as cool as, as the Beatle cover? And he's like, oh yeah, it's even better. Nah, I don't think so. I think the Beatle cover is probably the most exciting thing on there. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we're, we're going to find out. Um, you already mentioned that there's a deluxe um, edition with uh, 31 tracks and a standard edition which has uh, less uh, tracks uh, on there. Let's just um, check out some of those uh, songs that uh, are on here and uh, see what we think of it. Uh, let's start with the first one called The Yodel Song. I guess that when people heard uh, Brett Morgan say stuff like he just did in that uh, snippet from the interview, and then they put in the disc and this was the first thing they heard. <laughs> I think a lot of people were probably a bit disappointed. <laughs> it's just Kurt yeah. yodeling. It's not even a first version of a song. I'm, I'm not sure if you can call it a song. It's like him experimenting and trying things that might eventually become a song. You were talking about the deluxe edition and the standard edition. This is the opening song on both versions. So, like, it was deemed interesting enough for that standard edition that is, uh, <laughs> let's say, the so-called uh, uh, album with great songs. Um, I don't know if if Kurt himself called this, like, the Yodel song on the cassette that he recorded this on. I'm not sure. Probably not. I hope not. Because I think the word song is too much. He's just jamming, which every musician does. Like pick up your guitar, strum a couple of chords, do a bit of singing over it to, to find a nice tune that you can maybe use. And you can hear him do basically the same kind of chords that he does so often in Smells Like Teen Spirit and, and a lot of other songs, which he admitted himself <laughs> that he uses yeah. that often so there's no shame there but it's nice to hear but it's not a song but do you think uh, that it could become a song if you add the drums from drain you to it <laughs> i think then it's just basically another version of drain you <laughs> well let's check it out
I, th- I think you were right, but I also think it again. It's brilliantly done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciate it. He also much. added like uh, like a, a bass guitar and and I think two uh, additional uh, guitar parts uh, to it to make it as much as a song as he possibly could. Yeah, yeah. I like, but now it feels like it's uh, it's one of those uh, live versions of a song where, I mean, Nirvana never did that, but a lot of other bands do that where they like elongate the song by by just continuing to play and just singing a bit over it to bridge it up or uh, instead of a guitar <laughs> solo or whatever and that's what it sounds like now but it also shows that they could have done a bit more with it i think not not, not this song particularly but in general all the stuff that's on here uh, i think a lot of people were disappointed because it's just those recordings from a cassette put on a disc and released. Yep. They didn't really do anything to improve the audio quality nope. or even, you know, add extra instruments, give it to the band. Or if you don't want to do that, maybe ask um, uh, Kurt's uh, old friends who could make music to, to do something with a song and then make it like a two disc release, one with the Kurt's original jamming and one with, hey, if you give this one to, I don't know who, who a great mu- musician and he got inspired by it and reworked some of that in 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 in, an pro- in a proper song that would have been way more interesting i think ah, that could have that could have been interesting i i do agree that you would have still needed to have those original versions as well i i remember they did something like that with michael jackson material a while back where they gave it to different artists and and let them do their own versions of it and a lot of fans were angry because it's like yeah now it's it's not michael jackson anymore so <laughs> so i guess you need those originals as well but yeah you know, i i mean the least they could have done is is like you said enhance the recording a bit or do a bit of mixing but i guess on the other hand this was also a project that was all about look at all of the material that he had lying around and sort of uh, s- secret stuff like raw material which sort of fits the kind of documentary they made but it's just not interesting enough to to keep it like that raw material because there's no real pearls in there i guess maybe we'll we'll find uh, some (laughs) this was only the first song that's Uh, the next one is uh not a, a new song or a jam it's just a an early uh solo demo version of a song that uh most people will probably recognize. This is the kind of material I I want um, basically from from recordings like this because this says something about how he composed stuff and this is truly I think a demo because it's that sort of first version of like I know how this song is gonna sound and I need to record it fast because it's in my head and I need to have it like somewhere you can hear it by guitar sound which isn't I mean I think it's probably an electric guitar but not plugged in or something like that it sounds really weird 
And then he says like, okay, this is the bass part. And he starts playing the bass part. So he really had an idea of where this song was going and actually filling in somebody else's part in it as well, or at least having an idea of, of the whole structure. To me, at least, this is really the interesting stuff because it tells you a lot about how he worked. So I love this. Yeah, yeah that's true. Uh, then again, there was already a solo acoustic version of Binnison yeah. on the box set that that's was true. <laughs> released years before this. But uh, I don't think that has that bass part thing. So no. if you're going for that, then... <laughs> you need you to need buy this one. Uh, th- th- this one. Yeah. If you like Kurt saying bass part, then this is uh, <laughs> yeah. this is free. <laughs> yeah. So um, moving on to the next one, which is another quote unquote new song. Uh, what more can I say? So this is another one that you put on the list. Why did you pick this one? Well, don't don't tell me that if I hadn't requested it, you wouldn't have played it, right? Yeah, probably. Probably. <laughs> exactly. But that's also because I have a version of, the, uh, of this one with the drums from Heart Shaped Box under it. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> Which we're gonna skip over. You can you can check it out on YouTube if you uh, for yourself if you want to. We can't we can't uh, play it all, but um. <laughs> I can see that working. The reason I wanted to play this one is I think that this is, like we said, Benison is interesting because it has that demo vibe and, and the sort of the interesting parts about how um, he was writing songs. I think this is one of the um, songs on this uh, album that is most like a finished song that could have been really interesting. Um, I think there's a really interesting quality to this, even though uh, the sound quality is extremely poor and, and you can't really make out what he's singing or whatever. But you can hear that there's something in there that makes it an interesting song. Um, it has that kind of Beatles vibes to it, I think. This could have become a proper song, I think. Um, and it would be interesting to have heard uh, better versions uh, of this. I think this was also... This this was used for the credits of of the documentary, right? I think so. So could they, be, could yeah, be. I think that this was the credit scene, so they must have heard as well the the quality of this material. But this is interesting. The, the other interesting thing is that this one is not on the standard edition, so you can only hear it on the deluxe edition. Yeah, which is really weird. I would have put it on the standard edition. This one. Yeah, you're right because on the standard edition they uh, for standard edition they selected the stuff that's closest to an actual song I'd, I'd say so uh yeah. Yep. But uh no they left it off so uh probably had a their their reasons uh, for it. I must say um I don't completely agree with you. To me this sounds a lot like the other stuff on here. It's a mm-hmm. typical Cobain guitar riff and he's looking for an interesting melody to put on top of it. And yeah, it, it, it's got something to it. But yeah, I, w- I wouldn't call this like a, a, a highlight of the album or something like that. 
it's it's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I do think it's good that you pointed out that they use this for the end credits um, because this album more or less uh, serves as a soundtrack for the documentary. Yep. And even though I don't think I really like Mr. Brad Morgan, I do think that he used this uh, material very, very well in his documentary. Yep, definitely. It, it really, it really helps him tell the story and it really fits and yeah but that just doesn't mean that on its own it's also good enough and interesting enough to to yeah. buy no <laughs> no I, I, I totally agree it, it works in the documentary for sure because it it tells a story about kurt and and it shows a lot of aspects of his personal life and his work but yeah that doesn't mean it's it's something that's interesting to listen to as a standalone especially not in the deluxe version uh. no because that also has uh, stuff like kurt just making noises with his guitar or <laughs> shouting yep. or if you if you're into that uh, <laughs> go check it out um you don't have to buy uh, the album to um, hear it you can also find it on spotify and uh, uh, other streaming services uh, i guess so let's move on to the next uh, quote-unquote song. This is a really short one called Burn the Rain. This sounds more promising than um, the last one. What more yeah. can I say? I, um, be, yeah. be, because I think the, the guitar part is more interesting and it's yep. more different than what he usually does. Yeah, it's more grungy, I think. Yeah, there, there, there's a hint of a melody in there. It's a bit less, yeah, it's a bit less um, generic, I think. Yep. But but again, it's it's like just one minute of this. That That's it. I mean, he never worked on it anymore so it's an idea that's what it is not a song but for the next one um like you said um there's uh, on the deluxe edition there's also spoken word stuff on there there's one that well we we just had to share because it also plays a very prominent role in the documentary it's uh called aberdeen i think most of these titles again are just stuck on it by somebody else yeah. i don't know who yeah let's check out a snippet and then uh give our opinion on it. We got to the door and a very fat girl let us in. It wasn't obvious to me for over an hour that this girl seemed kind of quiet until one of the guys pointed out that she was in a special ed class. I'm sure a lot of kids would call her a, a retard and some just slow and at the time and still to this day I would call her quiet and illiterate but not retarded. The object of the guys who had been going there for the past month was to steal booze from the downstairs basement den of her house. While others distracted her by opening cupboards and doors and pretending to eat all the food, one would go down and take a fifth and then exit out the downstairs. So we did this routine every other day and got away with it for, oh, about a month. And during that month happened to be the epitome of my mental abuse for my mother. It turned out that pot didn't help me escape my troubles too well anymore and I was actually enjoying doing rebellious things like stealing booze and busting store windows and, and nothing ever mattered. 
I decided within the next month I'll not sit on my roof and think about jumping, but I'll actually kill myself. And I wasn't going out of this world without actually knowing what it was like to get laid. Yeah, and then the story goes on about how he has sex with that girl he just described, and then his dad got really mad, and everybody found out about it, and he got everybody in school started picking on him, and he tried to kill himself, but it didn't work because he was laying on the wrong side of the train tracks, which I, th- I think it's a slightly disturbing but also interesting story. It's pretty obvious to me that Kurt wrote it down and just and is just reading it to his tape recorder. Yeah, and and he's doing that so well. The, the, the weird thing is that, I mean, we've, we've talked a lot about his writing and his songs and how most of the time he doesn't really tell stories, but sometimes he does, like in Polly, and, and that works really well. And I think in this case, he reads it well, but it's also really well written. Really clear, really clean, but with the right words. It has definitely a literary quality to it, which I think is a shame that we never heard or read more of. I mean, we have the journals, but that's definitely different from this. Yeah. Actually, this feels um, and sounds like a written short story. I I think it it is. And the the big problem that I'm having with... uh, uh, the movie is that Brad Morgan decided to take this clip and present it as if it was like, I'm actually completely convinced that he mixed some of his own life with, yeah, with, with, with a story. Yeah, and, and exactly. What, what Brad Morgan should have done was, if, if he wanted to use it this way, um, check the facts ask around at that school who, who was there is there anything to verify the story and i don't think there is i've never seen or or heard that if, if you conclude that it's it's a story you can still use it but don't make the suggestion that this actually happened and um yeah he takes it very literal and i think um in the same interview that i just played that that uh, a snippet from he actually says yeah it shows that Kurt already tried to commit suicide at this such a young age and I, I don't think it's a believable story at all maybe it shows that he was already thinking about suicide or that he was fascinated by the concept of suicide something like that but I don't think that he actually lay down on the tracks of the train <laughs> with a piece no. of rock on his chest and then the train went by and he just went home. I mean, it just... <laughs> no, exactly. It's it's too literary, which doesn't mean that literature can't be real, but it has that quality to it of like telling this beautiful story that can be half true, but as we've talked about before, like Kurt made up a lot of stories and mixed it up with stuff. And I think as far as the suicide goes, this is about teenage life and there are so many teenagers who use expressions like, oh, I, I can't take this anymore, I want to die, or um, I'm going to do something stupid and whatever, which isn't to say that there are real teenagers with real problems who have true suicide feelings. I, I don't want to take anything away from that, and that's really sad. But taking it so literally, um, personally, I have to say, when I watch Montage of Hack, I don't take it that literally, uh, which is because of the animation sequences that to me 
are so much of an illustration that I see them as as partly fiction. But that is because of like well the thing we're talking about now the, the conviction that I have that these are stories embellishments. I would have loved to hear more stories like this in a literary way like this or read a book or hear him perform it like this and that's what stands out to me whether it's true or not I don't particularly care to be honest I do but uh, enough about that um let's um go back to the music uh here's another new Cobain composition called Desire And that last uh, version you heard was a cover version, obviously, by um, an artist called Permanent Tourist, which I think, yeah, gave a nice uh, twitch, uh, twist to the song, make, making it sound a bit like a Weezer song, I think. I was thinking exactly the same. I hadn't heard this version, and I really like it. Um, I think it's really cool. But yeah, it's it's very Weezer-like, yeah. Kurt had a quite a good melody buried in there. Yeah. Yeah, that he could have could have used in an actual song or an actual composition. I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's um, promising uh, ideas in there, and uh, yeah, permanent tourist. Uh, yeah, kind of make made them work. So uh, credits uh, to them. I have a lot of stuff lined up, but I, I have the feeling that we should skip over some of that. There's the song "Letters to Francis." I don't know. The the title kind of bugs me because it's an instrumental track, which isn't that interesting. Calling it Letters to Francis. Maybe Kurt did so himself, but I surely doubt it. Yeah. Kind of gives me a bad taste in my mouth because it gives the impression that there's more meaning to it than perhaps there actually was. But yeah. then yeah. again, who knows? Who am I to judge? One of the, the, the issues I think there is with the documentary and this album and, and titles like this is that Courtney and Francis being both helped with the making of it. Um, but then later sort of retracted from it as well. Um, so for all we know, they were the ones who decided that this was the title of this song. We don't know. Um, yeah. Could have, could have happened like that. But I, I agree with you. I have, I have that same feeling. It, it's sort of that title makes it like really important for some weird reason, and you're not sure how genuine that is. So here's another one that I think is, is pretty promising. Poison's gone. She says I'm being surviving gone. 
think it's really interesting that after the introduction, there's a long, quiet part in there. You, you never know what could have been, but yeah, it would have been interesting to have that kind of song structure. Yeah. That has like not the base uh, standard uh, quiet, loud dynamic, but a quiet, 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 loud dynamic. <laughs> exactly. I think it's also interesting that this song is when it starts, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know this. This is like sort of standard Nirvana-esque kind of chords and singing. And then when it progresses, it goes into like new territory that's different and, and more interesting. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of um, You Know You're Right. Yep. Which like a more quiet, mumbling, dark verse before it burst into a, another chorus. I, I, I don't know. I th just think it, it has something. Yep, totally agree. Some, some, some appeal, yeah. Are you ready for a quiz question? Oh, no, never. <laughs> but you're Tell still going to get one. <laughs> We're going to listen to another uh, band mock-up. And my question to you is, uh, from what song did the guy take the drum parts this time? <laughs> okay. <laughs> What's your guess? I don't know. There's something familiar, but no, I don't know. It's a Pennyroyal tea. Ah, right. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. W nice. Once you know it, you... Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> nice. It's interesting because it's quite a different song from this one. So it's, it's, a, it's quite a smart choice because it's not the obvious one, but it works because of the tempo. Nice. It's it's obviously not just the drum track exactly. from Pen Royal T, so he moved stuff around and yeah. I don't know, but uh, yeah, um, and uh, again, it shows that um, yeah, just a little bit of work from an amateur, you can make a song like this a bit more interesting. Yeah. So that's basically the story of the whole montage of Hack album. What I think is, is is weird is that it was released as a Kurt Cobain solo album, which. Yeah, which is fine because it's not the band. But that also means that if people think, ooh, I hear a lot about this guy, Kurt Cobain, uh, let's check out his stuff on Spotify. This is the only stuff that comes up. Yeah, exactly. That's that interesting. So you think, yeah. oh, so so that's what he did? <laughs> yeah, that doesn't really work. I, I mean, obviously, this, this all has to do with like rights and payments and, and stuff like that. Yeah, probably. And also, I mean, th th there's a case to be made that uh, the other band members shouldn't um, earn money from this because they didn't actually contribute to it. So that's fine. But uh, I just think it's weird that maybe there's people out there who think that this is Kurt Cobain's biggest work. <laughs>
Uh, yeah, that that would be that would be really sad that people listen to like sea monkeys and think like, ah, okay, so this is the best he did, telling stories about Paul Abdul and and record stores and dancing kids. <laughs> yeah. Hey, what's wrong with sea monkeys? These are brine shrimp. The tooth fairy is your mom. Paul Abdul is a sea monkey. Yeah, well, I I didn't it's, know Paul Abdul was a sea monkey I, until he told yeah. me. So yeah, learned something there. <laughs> Where did that come from? I mean, in what state are you when you decide to to record something like that? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what's your, what's your final verdict on uh, the two releases? As far as with the lights out, I think we covered it by by saying like at that time it wasn't interesting release that since has been sort of it's not that useful anymore when you see what has come next with like deluxe editions and and anniversary editions but back then it probably worked this one like you said i think it's a good companion for the documentary i think if you just listen to this and you don't watch the documentary it doesn't make sense so anyone out there listening to this now and if you haven't seen that documentary i mean there's a lot to say for and against the documentary, but at least if you want to listen to this and you haven't seen it, go see it. So at least you have some kind of context of where it comes from. And I just want to complain about the puzzle in the Super Deluxe Edition box set because I promise <laughs> you I would do that. So, yeah. <laughs> so, three, <laughs> so two, Super one, Deluxe, here we go. Yeah, I mean, the Super Deluxe Edition box set had like, the, the CD and the DVD and, and all kinds of stuff and a booklet in there. And then it also had a puzzle of like 100 pieces. And why would you need a puzzle of this? And what does puzzles have to do with Kurt Cobain? And yeah, I hate it. <laughs> yeah. So if, if, you, if you have it and you like the puzzle, please tell me. Because I need to know that there's people <laughs> who thought this was a good idea. <laughs> yeah right well we, we actually haven't talked about the artwork i do like the fact that both uh, uh versions of the album have a kurt cobain painting on the on the cover very much that's that's really really cool so two different ones and uh yeah uh, I, I do really like that that's a positive thing uh, apart from that i'm a bit conflicted about this release because yeah it it very much feels like a money grab but on the other hand, um, I'm interested enough to listen to it. I'm interested enough to illegally download stuff like this or perhaps buy a, a bootleg recording of it. So apparently it's worth something. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's supply and demand. So yeah, yeah. it's it's true. I, I get the, com the conflict and I think the, the, the conflict I have as well is we can agree that Kurt Cobain was an interesting person and interesting songwriter and has been important for music history. And I get why you would want to honor that. But I don't think uh, releasing this 31 songs thingies deluxe edition really honors him because there's so much irrelevant nonsense on it that this doesn't scream to me like, Look, Kurt Cobain was really important for music history and he was a true artist. No. So I think no. it actually 
doesn't really do his legacy a lot of good. And that's, I think, the thing that I have against it as well. I don't know what you think about that. I think you're totally right. Uh, yeah, the only thing I can I have against that is that what good would it do anybody if they had kept it from the world and the true fans would never be able to hear it? Yeah. So the only other option would be to maybe uh, put it on a website as a free download or something like that. But then, yeah, that's just not how the world works <laughs> no. a lot of the times. And I think, why would, should we give away free music? I mean, yeah, apparently true. there are people interested in it, so it's worth something. So we could put a price on it. And yeah, I do agree with you that they took it too far by a super deluxe edition with a puzzle and, and BS like that. But uh, in the end, I, I still think that it's nice to have at least heard once. Yep. And yeah. if they hadn't released it, I wouldn't be able to. So, yeah. Yeah, true. And, of course, um, because they released it, we have all these cool mock-up versions. Because I've got one more um, in store by another guy, Aiden Sage. I don't know who he is. Another one uh, I just came across on YouTube. We already uh, mentioned the uh, Beatles cover, and I love her. Um, this is Kurt's version of um, that song uh, with some cello on it. Stars the shine out the So I thought that would be a nice uh, ending to this uh, episode of the podcast. Yeah, it's beautiful. I like it. Right. Anything uh, more uh, you'd like to share with our listeners? Uh, no, I've complained enough about the puzzle, so I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we actually already invited uh, our listeners uh, to send uh, messages uh, to us, so we don't have to do that anymore. No. Nope. Um, just wanted to say that um, if you like what we're doing here, uh, please uh, share our show in any way you want with the rest of the world, with your friends, with an uncle who might be interested in uh, Nirvana or whatever. Just, uh, yeah, help us reach uh, as many interested people as possible. We would really appreciate that. Also, I really appreciate you uh, coming on again. We we just talked before we started recording that uh, this is probably the last episode we're going to do on a distance. So yeah. uh, on a... On cam, so we hope to be in the same room recording the podcast uh, next time. Yes, finally. You're coming back to the Netherlands for an unknown period of time, <laughs> I guess. But uh, yes, yes, definitely. I'm coming back, and the whole COVID issues have been uh, going quite well. So that means that that's a double bonus for us to be able to uh, be together in the same room again, do some more uh, episodes. Yeah. Just a few more because we're almost yep. uh, getting to the end. But yeah. on, the, on the upside, uh, if everything goes according to plan, next time we'll have a guest on. So Yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah, me too. Are we going to tell the people why and, and what about? Or are we going to keep that a uh, secret? 
we're going to keep that a secret. Uh, no, we're going to make that like a, a, a quiz question as well. Yeah, I already uh, good idea. jumped you with, with, with a question. Okay, so um, the other guests we had on, one was talking about uh, Guns N' Roses. The other one was talking about Hull. So we can reveal that the next episode will also be about Nirvana in relationship to another band. And our question is, what band do you think that is? Can I send in my answer as well? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you can't. Um, <laughs> but uh, our listeners can. They can uh, send uh, um, their answer to us uh, any way they want. And the winner will be awarded with not getting a Kurt Cobain puzzle. So I think that is really the best thing you can get. Not get. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> there will be no puzzles sent to you. Okay. Anyway, uh, time to uh, wrap things up. Uh, thanks a lot for uh, joining me again. Also, uh, a lot of thanks to uh, Joep Hulligi for uh, playing our theme music. And we hope you will tune in next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.